welcome today to Resurrection Sunday, to Easter Sunday here today. I know it's very sobering when we are reminded about the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf for his body was broken, he was whipped, he was beaten, he gave everything for us, being an innocent man so that we could have relationship with God. I want to say today, though, here's the beautiful thing, here is the incredible thing. He is risen. He is alive today. Let's celebrate and thank that God, that Jesus is alive. Now, my name is Pastor Todd, along with my wife, Jan. We are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church. And for those who are online watching right now, we want to say welcome to you. But as well for those who are joining with us in person today, we are so blessed that you are here. And we know for some of you, this might be the first time you've been to church in quite some time. And so we say welcome back to you. We're so glad to see you. We hope to get to reconnect with you and get to know you again and hear what's going on in your world. But for maybe some of you, this is uh, something new for you today. This is a first time that you are here and you're joining with us. And I want to say today, welcome home, that we have a place for you, that we believe that Christian community is about family, that it's being a part of family. And so I just want to declare that God is here and he's with us. Now I want to talk today, my message is, who is Jesus? Who is he? Is he really everything that people said he was or that he even said about himself? Who is he? But before I I start with that, I want to share a, a little bit of Um, a story here that those who know me, those who have uh, get to spend any time with me know that I can be, uh, you know, I like to have fun. I like to joke with people. I like to poke around a little bit. I like good pranks. I like to, uh, you know, kind of if we really know each other, then I'm, I'm, you might be surprised sometimes at uh, what happens with when you're with me. And I remember um, growing up, it was kind of part of what I did in my life. I had a sister who was 14 months younger than me. I've had to apologize to her many times. You know, it's a, it's a challenging thing. You know, when you're with siblings, one of your uh, joys is harassing the other sibling. We were no exception to that. My parents, if they were here, would vouch for the fact that there were some incredible moments. And we like pranking each other. We like doing things. Like I remember one time before, you know, she was in uh, junior high, I remember setting all the clocks a couple hours ahead and and convincing her that she needed to get up and it was time to go to school and she got ready, did all of her stuff and found out I'd pulled that on her. And so to get me back, she made me some brownies. She made me some special, special brownies. Not those special brownies, but um, probably a little bit even crazier. She made them with cat food. And... uh, She said, how did I like that? So, you know, pranks, uh, things that you do to each other. I was a youth pastor uh, for many years, and and, and one of the things that, you know, kids like to pull pranks, especially when you go to camp or you go away. And I remember at one point, I've probably been leading for five or six years, and we had some guilty offenders at camp. They'd been caught pranking. It was some boys that wanted to do things to the girls' washroom or something, you know. And that's, you, we told them, you can't do that stuff. And I remember they were standing, they were waiting, you know, to find out what is the, the verdict. And I remember just shaking my head. I shook my head at them and I said, you know, I'm really, really uh, offended. And they're like, oh, why, Pastor Todd? We're sorry we won't do it. I said, 
because your lack of skill in pulling these pranks is just deplorable. <laughs> it's a shame, the things that we've lost over the years, you know. Um, and I, I remember saying that to them. And, and so why is this, uh, it, why am I sharing this? Well, because one of the iconic symbols of Easter Sunday of this day is the empty tomb. And for some people, they were probably wondering what was happening, what was going on? Was this really something that was real or was it a hoax? Was it a a joke? You see, for many, when we look at the empty tomb, it is a symbol of freedom. We, those of us who have been uh, people of faith for a while, we understand that it is a symbol of freedom or of renewed life. But for others, you might be here and it might sound like a good story, but that's all it is when you hear about Christian faith or traditions. It sounds like an interesting fable that just competes with the, the Easter bunny, you know, some that's for that's where they're at. But I want to say this, that at the center of the story is a unique figure, a character named Jesus. And according to history, this man was not only influential, but incredibly controversial, not only by today's standards, but at the time that he lived. And so when they saw the empty tomb, when this story began to circulate, they wondered, was this just a a prank, or was this a big hoax for the ages? And so who was Jesus? What was he? And, And so there are many in history that have said, well, he could only be you know, a few things. Maybe he was a madman. Maybe he was just this crazy guy who had these ridiculous claims about himself. Or maybe he was a great philosopher. There are some that believe that he was a great philosopher. He had great ideas, like many of the philosophers of this world. And then there's other that, others that maybe are a little bit more cynical. He was a, deceive, a deceiver. He deceived people to believe fairy tales, to believe lies. Or could he have been, possibly, something greater? Something more. So today's story is centered around an empty tomb. And if you turn in your Bible with me, we're going to start in John chapter 20, the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And uh, uh, I love reading this account of Jesus. So John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It said, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I just want to pause for a second. I, I just want to add this here. When you, you keep hearing about the other disciple and the one that um, Jesus loved more than any other, uh, this is John, the writer, actually referring to himself. <laughs> I think John had a little bit of a sense of humor. So whenever you hear the other disciple, it's actually John talking about himself. Uh, quite an interesting uh, writing technique there. In verse 5, it says, Then he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, 
who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were saying, here's what the Bible account testifies to us. Here's what it says, that early on Sunday morning, which they considered the first day of the week, when it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, now this was uh, not Mary, his mother, but another lady that had been a part of Jesus' life. They arrived at the tomb and sees that the stone that covered the entrance had been removed. We have to understand that in, in, in the way that they buried people, prominent people especially, would have caves that they'd have hewn out in the mountains and they would put their deceased ones in there and then they would cover it with the stone. And so Jesus, the, the tomb that he was in was the stone. And so when she goes to the tomb, she discovers that it is empty and that the body is missing. Oh my goodness, we have a scandal here. And it's a case. I could only imagine how her mind would have begun to race. Where did he go? What happened to Jesus? He was here, here yesterday. I know it because she'd gone each day to look after things, see what was going on. But now he was gone. And then I would have been probably in her mind, who stole the body? I remember when my son was about four months old and we were getting ready to go to uh, an event, my wife and I, and we were going to take our children with us. And this was probably about... January or February, I can't remember the exact date, but it was like 25 below zero outside. You know, kind of like it was last week. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, we had borrowed my, um, my mother-in-law's car um, and we'd started it. We were warming it up. It was cold. And I remember I would just put my son's uh, baby carrier down and I opened the door to my garage and I looked out and the car was missing. Now, again, I have to remind you, I was the youth pastor at the time. I was like, ah, I bet you some of those teens, those young adults, they walked by, they saw the car, they moved it on us, right? They're just playing a trick on us. But then as I looked around, I began to discover that the car wasn't just gone. It had been stolen. I can only imagine what would have happened if my son would have already been in the car. That's a whole other story. I know all the moms in here were like, that's what I was thinking about, Pastor Todd. And I believe this is kind of where we see Mary Magdalene was out, was like, well, what, what, what happened? She would have been surprised because she had helped prepare the body. She had been a part of putting it in its place, the entombment, and she would have checked to see if anything had changed on the tomb each day. And so here was the question, where was he? Somebody had to have taken this body. Was this a terrible prank or worse yet, had it been stolen? Well, we know this about the tomb that placed in front of the tomb was an incredibly large, heavy stone. It was so heavy that it would have required many people to move it into place. And moving it and, and removing it would have been noisy. It would have been obvious. It would have got the attention probably of people. Well, why would it have got the attention from people? Because we know this, that because of who Jesus was and the, the Jewish leaders had gone to the Roman officials and said, look, we want to make sure that there's a few things here. Would you put a, a seal on this tomb and a guard on it? So there was a Roman seal that had been placed on the tomb. It was like a wax seal. If you've ever seen that in uh, some of you that watch Downton Abbey and 
those kind of shows, when they send a letter, they put their wax seal. Why? Because that's how they determine whether somebody had opened it before, whether it had been tampered with. And so there was a seal that was placed on the tomb by the, not just the Jewish leaders, but by the Roman government. And to break the seal, to, be, uh, to break it without authorization was a major offense that was punishable by death. So this wasn't just a little thing. And not only that, they'd placed some guards around the tomb. Now the question, was it a, a, a few guards or was it a Roman guard? You see, a Roman guard was a detachment of 16 soldiers that would stand six feet apart from each other to make sure that nothing moved. And whether it was a couple Roman guards or it was a full detachment, the reality was that you had to completely be on point if you were a soldier. If what you were guarding or you were caught sleeping or not paying attention, the punishment was being burned alive in your full uniform. So how did the guard not see what had happened? You know, these guys weren't Paul Blart, mall cop type of guy. They were highly trained, fearsome warriors. But yet, the body was missing. What happened? Did Jesus really die? Now, there are, people have conspiracy theories. Uh, we love conspiracy theories. In fact, probably in this last season of life, there's been more types of theories about things than people could imagine. Do you believe in Sasquatch? Oh, yes, there's Sasquatch. There's, they're in the woods. They do this. Area 52. Who here knows Area 52 in New Mexico? Aliens, UFOs. Uh, there's their life. Is it 51? I got it wrong. JFK. Elvis, some people believe Elvis is still alive somewhere, doing something. There's theories. And conspiracy theories have been around us for years. And so the question was, well, what, what, what's the theory? What, what could have happened? And there were all sorts of stories. And, 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 and here's what I would say. Would this story matter if Jesus was only just an ordinary guy? Would it, would it create any type of weight. Well, we know Jesus was not an ordinary guy. In fact, he was a lightning rod of change while he was on the earth. Both he and his teachings turned the whole world upside down. We have celebrations like Christmas and Easter. They've been here for centuries for, because, you, because of who he is. You just don't do that for an ordinary guy. So again, during his time on earth and and even in the, 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 the centuries after, the debate is raged. Was he? Who was he? Was he this wise moral teacher? You know, many say his teachings were outstanding. There's a lot of people that don't believe that Jesus was the Savior, the Son of God, that say, man, those are really great teachings. Those are probably good things to consider to live by. There's some that say he was a, a great prophet in the line of many great pop prophets, that he's of the same caliber as Muhammad and, and, and others that some people consider to be the prophets. Others just say he was a revolutionary. But could he be, or possibly, was he the son of God? C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia and many other incredible books, made this statement on the debate about who Jesus was and is. And he said this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. 
A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus would have said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. I guess that was a good saying when C.S. Lewis wrote this 100 years ago. Or, Or it would be that he would be of the devil, of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit, him, spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What's C.S. Lewis talking about? He says that the option of Jesus being labeled a great moral teacher is impossible. It's impossible because of what Jesus inferred to about himself, what he spoke about himself, or what others spoke about him in the Bible, that he was the son of God. You see, we see that there are places where he didn't actually maybe speak this, but those around him acknowledged this and he agreed with them. Let's listen to Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 17. Then he asked them, them being his disciples, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because of the, my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. See, Jesus is agreeing. Simon says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of God. And Jesus is like, that's right. You got it. Matthew 26, 63 to 64, while he's before, uh, by his being the high priest, Matthew 63, but Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you have said it, and in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, when I greet you, when I come before you, I do not say that my name is Todd, the son of Gary Swisher, the grandson of Charles Swisher. You would find it strange if I address myself that way. Maybe we should. We could get, people would know more of our history, our lineage, if we just rattled off our, our family. Um, but if you asked me if I was Gary Swisher's, was my dad, I would reply to you, Yes, he is. That's who my dad is. And that's how Jesus referred to himself concerning, confirming he was the son of God. Now, to say that, you, there can only be three conclusions, and this is what we're getting at. Either he was a lunatic, bat crazy, he was a compulsive liar, or he is who he says he is, or what people say about him, that he was the son of God. Now, if he was a lunatic, uh, why would we say that? Well, if I came up and told you today that I was Jesus, what would you think? Some of you might be on your phones right now calling um, uh, health services saying, uh, there's a guy that's, you, you not, might need to take him in and check. There'd be some, maybe some men in white suits that would be coming to have a conversation with me. We know that there's a lot of people that are, suffer from mental uh, illnesses that, that believe that they are God. When I was growing up, 
there was an incident of a deceived church leader from the, the San Francisco area who became convinced that he was the Messiah. Maybe you've heard of this in history, some of you that have been around a few years. Uh, his name was Jim Jones. And he was so charismatic that he convinced over 1,000 people to move to South America with him. He demanded their money, all of their possessions. He convinced husbands to give their wives and daughters to him as a sign of worship and devotion. And then in 1978, 900 people died of mass suicide from drinking poison Kool-Aid at the request of this leader. That is a lunatic. That is a madman. Crazy people tend to be ultra self-focused. But Jesus was the opposite of selfish. Can I say that again? Jesus was the opposite of selfish. He completely focused his energy on helping people, on giving his life for people. He did not seek crowds, even though crowds followed him, and he avoided public arenas whenever possible. He taught people how to love God and each other. He, he healed the sick. He showed great compassion to the poor and disadvantaged. He ministered to will, women and children. You have to understand that in that day, in that hour, they were, they, he, they, that's not what you did as a leader. And he intentionally reached across cultural and racial lines. And because of that, we know who, about him. We believe in him because he brought truth into broken systems and life transformation to those who were believed. Selfless people do not do that. Jesus was not a lunatic. Well, maybe he was a liar. Well, Jesus made many claims about himself. You can read them in the Bible. In Mark 2.10, he says, I am the one who forgives sins. That's a pretty bold statement. I am the good shepherd in John 10.11. In John chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I am the giver of living water. I'm the giver of life. He says in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. In John 1.36, he says, I am the lamb of God. Now, either what he said about Either he was what he said about himself or he was a liar. And I remember when I was a kid that one of the things that you would do when you were little is you'd make big claims to your friends. Like, you know what? I can throw a ball farther than you can. No, you can't. I can throw the ball farther than you. Oh, yeah? I can throw the ball farther than anybody in the world. And so what would you say? Prove it. Prove it. How could... He proved he was not a liar. One of his greatest claims was this, that he would die, but in three days, he would rise from the dead. Talk about a prove-it moment. Come on, that's putting your money where your mouth is. See, this is a trick that even the greatest magicians would not dare to make. But that's exactly what he said, and that's exactly what he did. Matthew 27, verses 62 to 64, it says, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone who was raised from the dead, if that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Oh, 
we got to keep this. We can't, this can't happen. This would create a scandal. This would ruin our positions. This would ruin what we, we, we think about things. We can't, we, we, we got to stop this. But the question was, did he rise from the dead? Could anybody rise from the dead on their own? But, but we come back here today. We celebrate what? The empty tomb. You see, in the Old Testament, there are at least 20 prophecies that refer to his resurrection. Some thousands, uh, even a thousand years before he was, uh, he, he, this happened. And here's the reality. The chance of only eight of them being fulfilled was one in one quadrillion. A really, really big number. You see, on the third day, there was not only an empty tomb, but we see over the next 40 days as Jesus was on the earth. You see, not only did he fulfill what he said he would do, but what proves things is when you have eyewitnesses. And there were witnesses of people as he went around to his disciples, to other people, and they saw the, the, the nail-pierced hands. They saw the scar in his side. They saw as he, as he went around, he began to show them that he truly was alive. You see, he was not a lunatic. He was not a liar. Then who is he? I say this today, that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the risen God. He is the ruler of the universe. He's who he says that he was. And that all by itself would be enough. He deserves our worship and our adoration, but he did this because what, what did he do? He is also the one who laid down his life for us, paying the price for our sin. The Bible says that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You told one lie. You thought one negative thought. Jesus died for that. Jesus died for the big things that we would consider big. On the cross, while he was sitting there, he had a revolutionary and a murderer that were next to him. And one at the end said, Jesus, can I be with you in paradise? Jesus said, yes. He forgave him from that. He's a living God. He's alive. You see, if you were to look on the tombstones of Muhammad or Buddha. It would have a date of when they were born and a date of when they died. But Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's a living God who not only was raised from the dead, but I want to say this to you today. He brings life to dead things. <laughs> As I was praying and I was seeking God about today. I was like, this thing jumped in my life. God, you bring life to dead things. What dead things? Some of you have broken relationships. Relationships that seem dead. I just believe today, I want to speak to you. Jesus can bring those things back to life. Jesus can heal what seems like it can't be healed. As you give your life to God, as you surrender your life to God, for some of you as, you, as you reach out to God, he can bring life to dead things. How about broken dreams? Some of you have had dreams that you've had that are broken. God brings life to broken dreams.
He brings life to broken bodies. Maybe you're here today and you're battling sickness. Maybe you're battling things within your own health. Jesus is Jehovah Rapha. He's our healer. The Bible says that by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus is alive. And he's not only our savior and healer, but here's the cool thing. You don't talk about this usually when you talk about the God and the creator of the universe. But he's here to be our friend. He wants to be our friend. He wants to walk with us. He cares about the small details of your life. I'm here to tell you today, God cares about the things that you would say, oh, that's not that important to God. It's important. He's here for you. He loves you. See, Jesus called his shot (laughs) and he delivered. But it wasn't free. (laughs) He sacrificed his life. He Suffered. We saw the screen there. That's just, that doesn't even do it justice. That's just a little twinge of what we could make it so that we could observe a little bit of what it was pro- probably like, but it was worse. And so today, maybe you're here and you need a miracle in your life. You need a, you need a miracle. I'm believing today that God wants to release a miracle for you. He wants to help you wherever it is that you need help. Maybe you need a breakthrough. You need something just to shift or to change. We're believing today for your breakthrough. Some of you today need a new beginning. You've been in a place where things haven't been very good. Maybe you've come here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the God who resets things and can re and change your course. But the, the, the requirement is that you have to surrender your life to him. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. I'm telling you today, there is a philosophy out there in the world that is a lie, that there are many ways to God. No, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. And he deserves to be the way. But the question is, will we embrace that today?